Welcome to UU Akron ServiceCast, brought to you by the Unitarian Universalist Church of Akron, a loving and welcoming community for all. If you would like more information about Unitarian Universalism or our community, please visit us at uuakron.org. The following recording is from the January 22, 2017 service titled, The Choosers are the Chosen, led by Rev. Tim Temerson and Barrett Bills. Freedom of conscience is at the heart of Unitarian Universalism. For centuries, Unitarian Universalists have struggled and even died defending the right to think and to choose for oneself. Today's service will celebrate the essential role freedom plays in our individual spiritual journeys and consider both the blessings and challenges it offers to Unitarian Universalism. Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you. Welcome, welcome. It's so good to have you here today. Great to see you all. Um, I have to say this is a little bit bigger crowd than I was expecting, about a 20 or 25% of our congregation was marching in Washington yesterday, I think, so, um, which is wonderful. Yes, indeed. So, um, so I'm, I appreciate you all coming today. I had been joking with Barrett and the choir that it might just be us today. So, um, so it's good to have some friends along with us. As our service begins, Barrett and I are going to share some words with you from Lindsay Bates. Let us open our minds to the challenge of reason and our hearts to the healing of love. Let us open our lives to the calling of conscience and our souls to the comfort of joy. Astonished by the miracle of life. Grateful for the gift of compassion. Confident in the power of love and justice. Let us worship together today. Barrett's now going to offer our chalice lighting words as Naomi lights our flaming chalice. I'll offer you these words from Erica Hewitt. The word courage comes from the Latin cor, which means heart. According to the poet Mark Nepo, the original use of the word courage meant to stand by one's core, a striking concept that reinforces the belief found in almost all traditions that living from the center is what enables us to face whatever life has to offer. To encourage means to hearten, to impart strength and confidence. This is our work as a religious community, to encourage one another, to be bold and engaging with the world around us, as well as what scares us internally, to give one another confidence and heart to live as fully as possible. With full hearts, let us affirm our relationships with one another. Let us recognize our agency and our connected power and accept our responsibility to be bold and courageous. We light this chalice, a symbol of all that we are, all that we have done together, and all that we will be as our shared ministry encourages those within and beyond our walls. In this moment of prayer and meditation, I invite you to take a deep breath in and out, and let it connect you to this moment we share with one another. As we mark each passing moment with our breath, I ask you to extend your thoughts to those around you and also to those who are not with us today because their conscience called them to be elsewhere this weekend. These moments we share, offering support to one another, receiving love and compassion, these are gifts that empower us to live boldly and courageously. Reach out with your mind and your heart to offer and receive strength in this moment in which we have chosen to be together. 
The Edict of Torda was adopted in Transylvania in 1568 by King John Sigismund, the first and only Unitarian king. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but maybe not the last, I don't, who knows. <laughs> In every place, the preachers shall preach and explain the gospel, each according to his understanding of it. And if the congregation like it, well. If not, no one shall compel them, for their souls would not be satisfied. But they shall be permitted to keep a preacher whose teaching they approve. No one shall be reviled for his religion by anyone. And it is not permitted that anyone should threaten anyone else by imprisonment, for faith is the gift of God. Our second reading is an excerpt from Self-Reliance by Ralph Waldo Emerson. To believe your own thought, to believe what is true for you in your private heart, that is genius. One should learn to detect and watch that gleam of light which flashes across the mind from within more than the wisdom of bards and sages. Trust thyself. Whosoever would be called a human being must be a nonconformist. Nothing is at last sacred but the integrity of your own mind. Thank you, Barrett. I myself am holding out hope for that next Unitarian king. <laughs> so, not offering myself up, of course, but... Um, well, it's good to see you all today on this very important day after, the day after one of the most important moments for freedom and justice, I think it's fair to say, in our nation's history. The marches that took place yesterday across our country and the world were a reminder of the power of the people to speak, to act, and to change the world. I am aware, as I said earlier, of at least 35 or 40 people from this congregation who went to the Women's March in Washington, D.C. yesterday, and I'm guessing that number is probably too low. And there were marchers all across the country yesterday, including one up in Cleveland. I'm curious, did anyone here attend the march in Cleveland? No? Oh, where, where, where? Yes. Wonderful. I would have gone, but I was writing a sermon yesterday, so. I know, not a very good excuse. Well, let me just simply say how pr proud I am of all who made their voices heard yesterday. You have set the stage for a new movement for justice and resistance that I hope will transcend so many boundaries that often keep us divided, boundaries of race, religion, gender identity, sexual orientation, ethnicity, class, and so many, many more. I can see and feel we the people coming together to say no to hatred, no to fear, no to divisiveness, no to injustice, and no to all actions and policies that stand against love and compassion for all people and for this planet. 
Those from this and other Unitarian Universalist congregations who attended the marches yesterday or who are finding other ways to make their voices heard are doing something else that's very worthy of praise. They are truly living their Unitarian Universalist faith and values with courage and with conviction. Ours is a religion that has been, from its beginnings, dedicated, dedicated to the idea of freedom, the freedom to think and to reason, the freedom to believe or not to believe, the freedom to question and to doubt, and the freedom to act and speak out for what is just and right. The simple truth is that we Unitarian Universalists believe that freedom is at the heart of what it means to be a human being and to be a person of faith. Now, for those of you who are new to Unitarian Universalism, it may sound a little strange to affirm that so much freedom is an essential part of any religion. After all, isn't religion about believing rather than questioning, faith rather than reason? Well, it is rather strange for a religion to be so centered on freedom, but you know what? That's who we are. We're kind of a strange but really wonderful religion. We believe in the beauty and the blessings of the free and critical mind. We believe that doubt and even uncertainty are as important for our spiritual lives as the most deeply held beliefs or doctrines. And we believe that religion and religious and the religious choices that people make must never be a reason to hate, to exclude, or to harm. In Unitarian Universalism, freedom is truly our holy truth. Now I'd like to spend much of my time this morning telling you the story of how we got this way, how freedom of religion and freedom of conscience became the cornerstones of Unitarian Universalism. It's a fascinating story and one that's really not very well known beyond our faith, and I'm not even sure how well it's known within our faith. Now, of course, this story is not the story of perfection. It has its ups and downs, high points and low points. We Unitarian Universalists have not always lived our commitment to freedom of conscience, and we have at times been guilty of intolerance and exclusion. But our commitment to freedom has endured, and it has always called us back to our best selves and to the heart of this faith. So let me begin. Let me tell you this story. It's got a good bit of history involved, so I hope you're ready for a little, a little historical journey. Now this year, 2017, marks the 500th anniversary of one of the most momentous events really in all of history and especially in the history of religion, and I might add in the history of Unitarian Universalism, and that event is the Protestant Reformation. You may recall, not that any of you were there of course, <laughs> that the Reformation was launched by Martin Luther in 15. 17. Outraged by what he saw as the Catholic Church's corruption of Christianity, 
Luther drafted a set of 95 objections, or as they came to be called, theses, and he then famously nailed those 95 theses to the door of the Catholic Church in Wittenberg, Germany, and historians mark that moment as the beginning of the Reformation. Now, although there were no Unitarian or Universalist churches when Martin Luther launched the Reformation, the ideas at the heart of both of our traditions were alive and soon became part of that movement. And the most famous and important purveyor of those ideas was an extraordinary scholar and thinker whose name was Michael Servetus. And here's a picture of him. Now, Servetus was, let me tell you a little bit about him. He was a Spaniard, and he was born not long before Martin Luther nailed those objections to the church door. Now, in the centuries before Servetus' birth, Spain had experienced an extraordinary, almost unprecedented period of religious freedom and tolerance as Muslims, Jews, and Christians lived side by side, working together and learning from one another. But as monarchs like Ferdinand and Isabella grew more powerful and unified Spain under a single Christian flag, tolerance gave way to religious oppression and eventually the Spanish Inquisition. Now, Michael Servetus grew up in a wealthy Catholic family that still embraced the spirit of toleration and learning that had once characterized all of Spain. He was permitted to read widely and critically and to explore the ideas of faith traditions like Judaism and Islam. He mastered numerous languages and was able to read the Bible in the original Hebrew and the original Greek, and he was one of the few people in Europe, other than Muslims, who could read the Quran in Arabic. And what Servetus concluded from his wide-ranging studies was that many of the core doctrines of Christianity, and especially the doctrine of the Trinity, the idea that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he concluded that that doctrine is not based in the Christian scriptures and should therefore be rejected. God, according to Servetus' reading of the Bible, is one. God is a unity, not a trinity. And it is from this key idea of the unity of God that we derive our name Unitarian. Now, it's not my purpose today to take you into the intricacies of Christian theology or to debate the soundness of the doctrine of the Trinity. As I think anyone who has worshipped and attended at this congregation or in almost any other Unitarian Universalist congregation will tell you, our tradition has long since moved beyond this Unitarian-Trinitarian debate, and quite frankly, from a place where we have one overarching theological perspective on the nature of God. I think it's safe to say that Unitarian Universalism embodies a broad and vast theological pluralism that welcomes and embraces those who believe in one God, those who believe in many gods, those who aren't sure, and those who believe in no God at all. All of these theological perspectives are welcome in our faith. Now, Michael Servetus's life took a pretty decisive and, as it would turn out, dangerous turn in 1531 when his most famous book on the errors of the Trinity, not a very subtle title, was published. 
I say dangerous because although Christian Europe was in the midst of this great ferment of change, the Reformation, there were some things about which the traditionalists and the reformers agreed. And perhaps the most important of these things was that the doctrine of the Trinity must be maintained. As you can imagine, Servetus's decidedly anti-Trinitarian ideas were unwelcome, and he was quickly branded a heretic. Warrants for his arrest were issued, and he was often forced to live in hiding and to travel in disguise. Servetus's luck eventually ran out in 1553, when religious authorities working for John Calvin spotted him in Geneva. He was arrested, put on trial, convicted of heresy, and cruelly burned at the stake in October of 1553. And what was Servetus's crime? Reading a book, drawing his own conclusions about its meaning, and then sharing those conclusions with the world. Now, while it is certainly true that Michael Servetus's ideas about the unity or oneness of God greatly influenced the development of the Unitarian side of our tradition, it was really the circumstances surrounding his death that had the greatest impact on our faith. You see, in the aftermath of Servetus's martyrdom, there emerged in Europe a movement small but not insignificant, a movement for religious freedom and religious toleration, a movement that challenged the whole concept of heresy and that eventually led to the formation of the first organized religious communities that called themselves Unitarian. And one of the most important leaders of that movement was a religious scholar and writer and preacher named Sebastian Castellio. Here's his picture. I keep wondering, do all the men portrayed have goatees? I mean, maybe that was just the, the fashion of the day, but every time I look one of these fellows up, they all kind of look pretty similar. So, Now, regarding Castellio, it's important to point out that he didn't necessarily agree with Servetus' ideas about the Trinity, but he was outraged that anyone would be put to death simply for speaking their mind and exercising their conscience. Barely a year after Severitas' execution, Castellio published a tract called Concerning Heretics, in which he argued that, and this is a quote, the scriptures are full of enigmas and inscrutable questions, which have been in dispute for over a thousand years. Yet on account of these enigmas, the earth is filled with innocent blood. And Castellio went on to say, very famously, to kill a man is not to defend a doctrine. It is simply to kill a man. Later in the same essay, Castellio challenges the whole concept of heresy. He reminds his readers that, according to the Greek origins of the word, heresy actually means to choose. So a heretic is simply someone who makes a choice. And as Castellio and other leaders of this movement for religious freedom pointed out, if heresy is ultimately about choosing, then aren't we all heretics? Following the light of our hearts and minds to find a faith that is meaningful for us? 
Well, the ideas of Castellio and others quickly began to spread throughout Europe. Of course, they were in the minority at the time, and religiously inspired violence continued among both Catholics and Protestants, and was oftentimes and usually carried out by the state. But there were exceptions to this chaos and places where freedom and tolerance reigned supreme, at least for a time. And it was in one of those places that Unitarian Universalism was born. About 15 years after Servetus's death in the small nation of Transylvania, and yes, that Transylvania, the same one that's famous for, at least in literature, giving rise to Count Dracula, a religious reformer named Francis David adopted Servetus's Unitarian ideas and embraced the values of religious freedom and tolerance. Like much of the rest of Europe, Transylvania had been plagued by religious division and at times by violence. David and his allies won the ear of the young Transylvanian king, King John Sigismund, convincing him to call a meeting of religious leaders to discuss the problem of religious conflict. The meeting took place in the small city of Torda, and after significant debate, the edict that you heard Barrett read earlier, at least an excerpt from, was adopted. And here's a painting of the edict of the meeting at Torda, which was called the Diet. That's so I'm sure this has kind of been spiced up for drama, but that's supposed to be Francis David making a powerful point to the fellow people at the uh, at the gathering. So now I know from what Barrett read, I know that the language of that edict is a little stiff. It's not terribly gripping or revolutionary to our modern ears. But think for a moment about just how radical such ideas were in 1568. For the state, the state, the edict was a, was a legal document, for the state to proclaim that individuals and churches would be left alone to follow their consciences and that in the words of the edict, no one shall be reviled for their religion and that was pretty unheard of and extraordinary stuff in 1568. And as far as we can tell, the edict was the first, the first legal proclamation of religious freedom and tolerance in the history of the West. And all thanks to a Unitarian reformer and a Unitarian king. About the same time that King John and Francis David were meeting to develop the Edict of Torda, the first organized Unitarian churches began to emerge in Transylvania and in Poland. Those churches thrived for a time, but soon confronted the return of religious oppression and intolerance. Sadly, King John only lived to be 31 years old, and it didn't take too many, too many years after his death for the Edict to be revoked and for intolerance and violence to return to Transylvania. But a number of those congregations survived, and both Unitarianism and Universalism eventually found their way to North America. And thankfully, Unitarian churches still exist in Transylvania to this day. Transylvania is now primarily part of the country of Romania, but you can visit those churches if you ever happen to find yourself in Romania. Be sure to stop in on a Sunday. Their services, I haven't been there, are quite a bit different feeling than ours, um, quite a bit more traditional, but still very Unitarian. 
I wish I could tell you that since Michael Servetus wrote his influential works and Francis David helped organize the first Unitarian churches, that Unitarian Universalism has always lived up to the ideals upon which we were founded. But like any other faith tradition, we have had our proud moments and our moments of closed-mindedness and even intolerance. In fact, critics from within our tradition, like the great essayist, Ralph Waldo Emerson, there's, there's Waldo, have been quick to point out those times when we have placed too much emphasis on conformity and on towing a single theological or biblical or scriptural line, rather than creating spaces in our churches where people are free to listen to the stirrings of their own hearts and minds. In fact, it was the criticism of Emerson and fellow transcendentalists like Henry David Thoreau, Margaret Fuller, and Theodore Parker, all of whom were Unitarians, it was that, their criticism that truly expanded and enriched the idea of religious freedom in Unitarian Universalism and placed it at the heart of our modern faith. They challenge us to see religion and spirituality as being ultimately about the mind, the heart, and the soul of the individual, and argued passionately for the liberation of the human spirit from what they saw as the deadening influence of dogma, creed, convention, rigid institutions, and society as a whole. According to Emerson and the others, institutions like the church tended to value conformity and obedience above spiritual freedom, and that such conformity led so many in their day to lead lives that were spiritually dry, empty, and filled, as Emerson's protege Thoreau so famously said, filled with quiet desperation. Now, in many ways, we Unitarian Universalists are still on the journey that Servetus and Francis David and Sebastian Castellio and Ralph Waldo Emerson set for us. We are always striving to be more free, more open, more accepting, and more diverse. We recognize that faith is not something that can be handed down from above or that can be embodied in a single creed or a single sacred text. Rather, we see faith as a continuous journey of discovery and exploration, a journey in which every human being must be free to find that which makes their hearts sing and their spirits soar. The fact that we Unitarian Universalists are always striving to make that journey and striving to keep freedom at the center of our faith is something for which we should be proud and something that we can and must share with the world. Through our words and our deeds, may we always be the religion that breaks down the walls of fear and suspicion that separate one faith tradition from another, one race from another, one gender from another, one class from another, one sexual orientation from another, and so on. May we be the religion that celebrates the truth and beauty that lives in all religions, but that also lives in science and poetry, art and music, and in the experiences and journeys of all of you and of all people. And may we be the religion that demonstrates that our differences need not lead to divisiveness, and that human beings can, in spite of those differences, we can learn together 
grow together, work for peace and justice together, and come together to build a world in which all people, no matter who they are, what they believe, where they come from, or who they love, a world in which all people are treated with the dignity and respect they deserve and treated like the children of God. That's my story this morning. Blessed be, amen, and thank you so much for listening. We thank you again and encourage you to seek us out on Facebook and Twitter or to come see us on Sunday mornings at 1030. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast on iTunes or however you listen. To learn more about our commitment to building the beloved community or to find ways to connect, visit us at uuakron.org.